I was, was going to yell at you, Vonnie, but I, I, I figured I'd be. I'd let you. You're all right. You're okay. <clears throat> all right, well, it's good to be here today. <laughs> if, you've, if you've seen the emails of our family and uh, everything that's happened this week, I'm, I'm glad to be here and not also have whatever it is that they have. Um, we appreciate everybody's prayers and um, calls and text messages and, and messages on Facebook uh, letting us know you're praying for us, and we really, really felt it this week. Um, it was pretty amazing to get to um, be on the receiving end of, of this body's love for one another. Um, we hear about it, but until you're in that situation where uh, you're the one receiving it, it's... Uh, you don't really understand what it's like, so I really appreciate it um, from from the bottom of my heart. And I know uh, Lauren's not here today; uh, she's with Hallie at the house. She's still not doing great, but um, we're on. I think we're on the mend. Hopefully, we don't get a return cycle. Uh, knock on wood. Um, so we appreciate it. Um, this week, this is the second section, uh, the second session of our um, study over the Calvinism and the Christian life. Um, James did a really good job last week of kind of getting us kicked off with this series um, with uh, Ian Hamilton. Um, he Last week he made, I'm just going to kind of go through a couple of little things and then we'll kind of jump into our lesson this week. Um, there were four things that he mentioned last week that Calvinism pulses with. Can anybody remember any of those four? Pop quiz? You know you're coming for a pop quiz today? Uh, the first one was that it pulses with breathless wonder. Uh, the second was grace restrained humility. Third was exultant adoration. And number four were, was uh, wholehearted consecration. So I think, as, as you can see this week, we're going to be kind of hitting on a few of those things again. Uh, they'll be said a different way, but... Um, he kind of uses those, that, those pulses will kind of show up as we go through all of these sessions. So uh, you might remember those, you might write them down on something that you can bring with you every week and kind of uh, look at those again, uh, try not to forget them. I know I'm, I do the same thing, constantly have to go back and remind myself of what we learned last week and the week before that, and this one's only six weeks long, um, but uh, I think you'll be surprised at how quick you'll, some of this stuff, you'll forget it if you don't, not reminding yourself of it, so um, those all came from uh, his, um, he read uh, Romans 11, uh, 33, 12, uh, 33 through 12, 1. Um, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, um, which is your spiritual worship. So that was where those four pulse beats, he really drew those four pulse beats out of that uh, section from Romans 11 and 12. Um, he also stated a couple of things um, last session, and we'll continue to 
uh, kind of harp on these two things specifically. Um, the first was that uh, Calvin talks very little about his own conversion other than he says that God subdued me. Um, he, I think he says it every lecture, maybe a couple times every lecture at that. So um, that, that idea that God subdued him and that that's really all he talks about is conversion. And also his, his motto was, my heart I give to you, Lord, promptly and sincerely. He'll definitely hear um, some more about that this week. Um, so today's session is called Calvinism's Fundamental Experience, and I think it's called that for a reason. Um, this is not the most intellectually heavy session, um, but it should really press upon our hearts and not just our minds. So as you listen to this lecture today, please don't let this just be another list that you file away in your mind and never see these truths, truths fleshed out in your life. Um, so... Before we get started, I'm going to read um, a prayer from the Prone to Wander. I find myself running to this um, book quite often to have really good, concise prayers um, that are all kind of topical at that, too, so you can kind of go to something that you're, you're struggling with, something that you're dealing with, and, and find there's a ton of amazing prayers in this. So if you would, bow your head with me um, as we pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father and King, we come to you today as people who would rather govern our own lives than submit to your rule and shepherding, instead of bowing down in reverence, full of awe and wonder, that you, the almighty creator of the universe, should stoop so low to love and care for us. We often treat you as a servant who should do our bidding and meet all our desires. Instead of honoring the wonderful and merciful Father that you are to us, we run from your goodness and love toward the false and dangerous hopes of our desires and idolatries. Our inability to discipline our wandering ways results in incredible brokenness in our lives and relationships. Our families, friends, and coworkers have often become the recipients as well as the source of our sin and pain. Jesus, Thank you for worshiping your Father with unwavering faith and unshakable hope on our behalf. Fully knowing and cherishing his true character, you submitted to his wisdom and trusted him completely in all the circumstances of your life. You ran to him often in your times of need and never turned toward false gods. The brokenness that entered this holy family was not the result of self-promotion or idolatry but came from the willing sacrifice you made to be separated from your Father in an eternal payment for our sin. Now your obedience is ours, and we are so grateful to be united to you and defined by your righteousness instead of our own. Holy Spirit, we are utterly feeble and weak, and we need your power at work in us. Help us to know and worship our God as he is, our King and Father who loves us passionately, in the middle of our perverse foolishness. Press the truth of your gospel deep into our soul so that we see the work of our triune God, the Father, the radiant potentate of time, and the lover of our souls, Jesus, the man of sorrows, humble, weary, bleeding for us, but at the same time the glorious lamb upon the throne, crowned with him many crowns, and worshiped by angelic hosts, 
and the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who is graciously at work in our hearts and lives, cause us to know and feel God's great love for us until we are transformed into people who love others deeply because of a great sense of our own need and undeniable sense of our forgiveness and adoption. Open our lips to join the heavenly worship service and sing praises to our heavenly King today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Amen. So before we um, watch this, um, this video, um, I'm going to read uh, Psalm 29. So if you would turn to Psalm 29. Um, I want to read this one, and then knowing that he's going to be going to the first eight verses of Isaiah 6, um, I'm going to do my best to not stumble over this, but um, as I read this, try to see if you can pick out some things um, that he's going to say again in Isaiah 6, if you're familiar with that passage. Um, just, just know that this is going to, there's going to be a lot of things in here that are kind of echoed or mirrored in Isaiah 6. So, uh, Psalm 29, this is a Psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The, vo- the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness, wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Um, so we'll go ahead and uh, start this video, and then we'll have some discussion afterwards. Thank you, Bobby. So I don't know about you guys, but whenever I listened to this the first time, um, I was kind of taken aback by this, these common notes that he draws out here. Um, I don't know about it, any of y'all, but I haven't done a lot of study on Isaiah 6, especially not these, uh, this section, the first eight verses. But um, to me, this, is, this was not my first thought reading it to begin with was, oh, yeah, me and Isaiah, we got these, we got these things in common. Look at all these, these ways in which um, our experience is similar. He does make the point that, he was a prophet, and, and we can't um, immediately throw ourselves into that and say, yes, this is, we got to put our ourselves in the place of Isaiah. But um, I think that he does a good job making um, the point that these connections are, uh, these common notes, as he calls them, are throughout all of our experiences, not just people who 
consider themselves Calvinist or this is a Christian view, um, common notes of all Christians. So I think he, he really hammered that uh, home before he jumped into the four points. Um, I should have, if I'd have been thinking about it ahead of time, um, I would have put up the, you've all seen the, the picture, I'm sure, the little chart where um, it shows the point of conver- your point of conversion and then there's, there's two lines that kind of go out like a greater than or equal, or like a greater than or less than symbol, right? Whatever those are called. Um, the top one is um, the gr- our growing awareness of God's holiness. The bottom one, the bottom arrow, is growing awareness of my flesh and sinfulness. And then in between those two is the cross. So as the picture that I have, uh, I don't know if you can, I could try to make it where you could see it, but as you, the cross gets bigger and bigger, the, the more do you see um, that's not, I've, I've seen that a few times, but it took me a while to actually find a picture of that. It was like, what, how do I put that into Google to search uh, images for that? Um, it's called the cross chart, um, is what I found it on. But, um, so I think that, that that picture to me was helpful um, in this session to really um, point at these first three um, common uh, notes that he's talking about. So the first one, uh, did anybody write down what the four things were, what the first one was? Face-to-face. Yeah, we all experience a face-to-face encounter with the exalted majesty or transcendence of God. Um, so I, I, I kind of put that as that's the top one, right? Um, that's, there's a point at conversion, but that continues to grow and and that view gets higher and higher and higher if you're looking at it on a scale of one gets higher, one gets lower. One gets higher, and that view specifically gets higher and higher and higher. Um, he, uh, he uses this uh, from the Isaiah 6, 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So even the seraphim, this is their, this is their song, right? This is their song choice. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Um, he also makes a pretty bold statement in this first, um, this first common note. Um, he said, if we don't have some sense of the exalted majesty of God, we could hardly call ourselves Christians. I'm kind of around the sun. Got you with that one. Um, I don't know. Any thoughts on that, that specific statement? Yes, no, disagree. First, I was like, man, that's kind of harsh. I I think so. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That little part. So me personally, grace restrained humility, that's, that is one that sees this picture that I try to draw out, that we, we are sinful people, 
deserving of something far worse than we receive from God. That humility isn't just me saying, um, I don't know how to say it. Um, Tom, you had something you wanted to say about it? Yeah. So I I think that the fact that he made that statement in the first section was the hard part for me because I I feel like you can't uh, say that without also seeing the other two points that he tries to make um, off the back of that one. So. more of a leading than a restriction. Yeah. Okay. Um, So we don't just read about his sovereign power and authority, also known as his majesty. I had to look up the word majesty. I think it's been a long time since I looked up what does majesty mean. Um or study it intellectually, we experience it firsthand, we feel it, we are brought face-to-face with it each day. I think that's the point he's really driving home in the first one. Um, And he's not just holy, but he's the source of all holiness. Uh, He's not just truthful, but the source of all truth. He's not just loving, but the source of all love. Um, If we never truly see the holiness, majesty, transcendence of God, how can we correctly see ourselves? So again, um, I go back to my picture. Um, that's just the top side because if we don't see God correctly, we are definitely going to see ourselves incorrectly. Um, and that's where the second point, we, are all, we all experience a felt sense of God's exalted majesty and are overwhelmed by it. Um, no amount of intellectual or spiritual giftedness can sub, um, substitute for being spiritually captivated by the majesty of God. Um, And so he says, he makes the distinction between captivated versus captured, or uh, he also calls the captured intellectually persuaded. So we're not just intellectually persuaded of the majesty of God. Um, Any thoughts on that? That that one stuck with me pretty hard. Um, I spend a lot of time trying to do all these studies and and study and, and just try to fill this thing full of God as much as possible, which isn't a bad thing, but if that's where it all stays, then what good is it um, in my life? Um, what's that? How's that fleshed out? And I think that that distinction between um, intellectually persuaded versus being captivated by it, being overwhelmed by it. Um, this is the verse five. Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So, I put in here, be honest with yourselves for a moment. When was the last time you were overwhelmed by the exalted majesty of God? Anybody? Blake? I think that's why the this point that Blake made is important is that it's 
God is revealing our sin to us, that, that doesn't stop. We don't get to a certain point where we say, well, all right, we got it. We're gonna, the bottom of that chart doesn't ever level out, right? It, he continues to open our eyes to our own sinfulness. It's, that's ne- he's going to continue to do that until we're with him forever. That's, that's, a, that's why the picture looks like it does, right? Um, I think that that point's necessary to make just in, we will, I think that at, at some point I think, well, maybe down the line when I'm, you know, 50 or 60, then, you know, that, that won't happen anymore. God's just going to, I'm going to be at a point where I'm, 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 I got it. Thanks, God. Appreciate all your work. I'm just smooth it off from here. We're just going to coast, coast to the end. And it's not that way. Um, and that's why I think that he's driving at this overwhelm, being overwhelmed by it, that it's, that we will never fathom the depths of his greatness. We will also never fathom the depths of our own um, sinfulness. So I think that's kind of where um, all that came from. Yeah. Um, so the third one, we all experience a personal acquaintance with God's forgiving and renewing and equipping grace. Um, Isaiah 43:25, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Um, so David Platt in the sermon on this passage says that we have a man-centered view of sin. Um, he makes this kind of, I thought this was kind of funny. He says, if we sin against a rock... We aren't very guilty. If we sin against another person, we are guilty. If we sin against an infinitely holy God, we are infinitely guilty, deserving of infinite destruction. So we, our, our sin is kind of, uh, we're, we're skewed anyways, right? Our, our sin is just what we see, how we see our sin affected, affecting the world or we don't see that in relation to God. Um, and so I think that that's why he really drives, um, what he really drives home with this uh, third point. Um, he also says that we have a scandalously merciful Savior. You ever heard uh, anybody say it that way? Uh, I like Platt. He's kind of hard to listen to sometimes, but he has some good ones. Um, so uh, Psalm 5, 4 through 7, uh, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The, vo- the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in fear of you. Um, so then he makes the point in this video that when will we last overwhelmed by the wonder of the forgiveness of sins? So he kind of, each one of these drives that point home by asking the question of yourself, when was the last time you were overwhelmed by the wonder of the forgiveness of sins? Um, he points to, uh, first Timothy one, um, 
he just points at uh, verse 15, talking about the chief of sinners. I am the chief of sinners. Um, I want to read uh, 12 through 17 and just listen to the, the verb tense in, the, in this passage because I think that that's important why he makes the distinction of um, the I am uh, chief of sinners. Uh, so he says, I, give thank, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ may display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So I think that, that that's what he really was pointing at in this, um, in this lesson. Um, the I am, he's not saying I was the chief of sinners. He said, I am the foremost of these sinners. Um, and this is Paul. This isn't some scrub. This is, this is the man. <laughs> um, so, uh, number four, we experience a heart resolve to serve God unconditionally. Um, so, uh, verse 8, And I hear the, Lord, the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. He doesn't ask any questions. And he gives God a blank check. And he says, it's the least I can do for all you have done for me. My heart I give to you, Lord, promptly and sincerely. That was uh, Calvin. That's one of the points that he'll keep driving home. Um, one of his, that was his motto. My life is not my own. I have been bought with the precious blood of Christ. I am no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 3.1-3, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Uh, John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven, heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Christ did this perfectly, without error in thought, deed, or attitude giving all that we are to him who gave all that he had for us. Um, And Hamilton states at the very end of this, where these common notes are missing, it is not Calvinism that's missing, but the gospel. Um, So last just couple of minutes, real quickly, as I went through this uh, lesson, 
I was really struck. Um, I'm a musical person. I can't sing. I can't play an instrument, but I love music, everything about it. Um, so as I as I went through this uh, lesson and preparing for it, I just kept thinking about some of the songs, some of the hymns that I love to sing and hear, um, and just how much they mean to me as I look at it in light of these points that are made here. Um, I look at what Christ has done for me, what God has done for me, and I think of amazing grace. I think of come thou fount of every blessing. I think of holy, holy, holy. I think of before the throne. And one of my favorite, how great thou art. So um, I was going to read um, each one of the, the words to each one of those. But having looked at the how much time we have and um, the uh, fact that we're going to sing this one today, uh, I think it's right that we look at the words before we sing it together. Um, So this one is, How Great Thou Art. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hand hath made, I see the stars, I hear the mighty thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. How great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. When through the woods and forest glades I wander, I hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze. But when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart and I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great thou art. So with that, um, any last comments, questions? Absolutely. I think that that's one way that we can constantly, I know for maybe it's just me, but for me that's one way I'm constantly reminded is to sing these songs, to hear them, to play them in my car, to turn them on when the day isn't going so well, to really... Remember who I serve. Anything else? Tom? Yeah, I was thinking that, you know, you, you draw to the point of one of the things you can almost do very waiting for him to bring that point out. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. All right. Thank you, guys.